right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Is it a good day? Yeah, it's a good day. Come on, right? One more day closer to spending eternity with the Lord. Okay. Wow, full house. This is great, guys. Uh, we need a new building, don't we? Um, it's getting full. That's, that's awesome to see what the Lord's doing. So welcome. Good to have you guys here at Livingstone Calvary Chapel this morning. Our pastor will be coming back into town. I think it is either this evening or tomorrow. So he will be here next week to continue in the study through Hebrews. And uh, looking forward to that awesome book. Hopefully you guys will be able to join us as we go through that. Uh, announcements for this morning. If you guys get your blue bulletin, there is one announcement there that we can look at real quick. It is an announcement I would encourage everybody to come to, please. We're going to have a couple's five-week seminar. Uh, it's going to be a great time of just getting together to talk about marriage. We're going to be going through a video series, so we'll watch a little bit of that and then have discussion afterwards. So uh, I encourage you guys, even if you're not married, even though it says on the sign-up sheet that uh, it's for couples, we're encouraging everybody to come to it. It has great principles, even if you're not married, to be able to apply to your life. And so please, if you're married or your spouse can't come, we would ask everybody to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you guys, you single, have opportunity to encourage those that are married, too, from what you learn from the Word of God. So, that is going to be this Wednesday, okay? This Wednesday at 6.30 to 8. If you guys would like to join us, please sign up. There is a sign-up sheet at the information desk there. We just want to know how many printouts we need to get. So, please put your name and your phone number there so we can do that. And it'll be uh, my wife and I, and then uh, Sean and Autumn. Um, we'll be there and leading that. So looking forward to it. Looking for this next year with you guys. Uh, it's going to be an awesome year. There are a lot of things we've seen happen in our last uh, 2022, right? Our world is changing quickly. Uh, some of the things that are being allowed in are changing very quickly. The attention from the Lord is diverting to self and humanism, isn't it? And it is uh, shocking how quick it's starting to go. Um, if you guys look at history, though, and other civilizations as they start going down this, it does go pretty quick. Um, not that we're hopeless in that at all. We know Jesus Christ. We're not citizens here. And we have that hope to look forward to in Him and His return. However, that's a great thing. But what we're going to talk about this morning is, are we ready? Are we ready? And what does that process look like in being ready for our Savior's return? Now, Jesus, the, the part of Scripture we're going to be going to do is, uh, if you guys would look at Matthew 24, uh, and we're going to look into 25 as well. And now, I was struggling to figure out what we we're going to teach. This is one of those ones that, um, and I had five, like four different things I was going through as I was trying to figure out what the Lord wanted to go through and uh, teach me and also to study with you guys through. And... Uh, even the last night, I was just like, that was so bad. I'm mean, one of those things that I'm like, man, I should have, I just, things weren't working out. So I woke up at three this morning and I'm like, okay, hey, Lord, am I supposed to be up? Am I going to have to come back in and write a whole different sermon or, you know, do this better or whatever? Struggling with that. And uh, I'm happy to say I feel the first service went okay. So we'll see what happens here. But I am so sorry if I get in the way. There are some dumb words that come out of my mouth that are made up. And I'll confess that, and words that I just jumble over. And so I asked you guys this morning, please do not pay attention to my faults. Let's look at the Word of God. There are some great things that come out of this, and I'm so excited to share them with you. And so 
hey, if I say some goofy laugh with me, it's great. Okay, I know. I say some things and I jumble over these, these words, and uh, my wife will tell you that happens very often. It's okay, but I want you guys, don't get hung up on that. Look at the Word of God and what He wants to teach us this morning through His Scripture. And so, Jesus, in the context, He sits down with His disciples because they come to Him and they ask Him, Hey, Lord, what's going to happen? What are the signs of your return? What does this kingdom look like coming in? And so Jesus gives them a private little lesson as he draws them off to the side and says, these are the signs you're going to be looking for. That's that whole first part of chapter 24 up until about verse 32. Then he hits verse 32 and he says, okay, guys, now I've given you these things. You should know about when the time is going to happen. There's sometimes we say there's absolutely no way to even know, but he gives us this example of the fig tree that you know when it's supposed to be bearing fruit, so you should know about the time and what it's going to start looking like as I come to return. But then the verse that I came across that really helped me to springboard or dive into this study is verse 44 in chapter 24 of Matthew, and it says this, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that's the thing, is that yes, you know around the area of the time, you'll see the things that are following, these signs that will happen, but we're not going to know the hour of the day. It says it very clearly. And he didn't give us 24 to figure that out. Chapter 24, if you read it the very first, he tells his disciples, I'm giving you this, or he says that you might not be deceived, right? That's the purpose we have this, not to try to calculate the exact day Jesus is going to come back. That's a waste of time, because he says he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. The angels don't know. The Father's the only one that knows. So our time should be spent in, yes, educating ourselves on this through the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Revelation. All of those, those are awesome to dive into, and I definitely encourage you guys, but not for the purpose of trying to figure it all out, but rather so that you can encourage others and that you yourself are not deceived when people step up and say, Jesus has already come, Jesus is here, he came in spirit and all these other garbage things that they try to throw out there that are not true according to the word of God. That's why he's given it to us. So he sets his disciples down, says this, and he says to them, though, you also be ready because you do not know when he's coming. Now, why would God the Father not want to tell us when he, Jesus is coming back? Why would he not say this is the day and the hour so now you can really be ready? Well, I'd ask any of you men that have had your wife gone for the weekend or a week when do you guys decide to clean the house with your kids? When does that happen? Is it like the first day she's gone? You're like, yeah, let's just keep this house nice and tidy. Or is it like, hey, mom's home in about an hour. We got to get with it. Okay, you're on dishes. You're vacuuming. I'll be over here. I'll do the garage, whatever it is. The reason for that is because we like to wait and procrastinate. And maybe some of you are not that. You're like, no, I'm totally the person who just keeps it clean the whole time. My wife's the one that makes a disaster when I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> all right there's pain on both sides all right think about maybe when you were a kid and with your brothers and sisters mom or dad's gonna come and they're gonna kill us if we find this mess you wait till the last minute that's why jesus didn't want to give that to us or god the father didn't want to give the exact time because he knows we wait till last minute to clean everything up and although we would say no 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 i would be so dedicated but I would ask you guys, look at even the progression in your life, and sometimes where you get off into sin and things we shouldn't be, it takes a little bit to come back to that repentance. And even more so, I would say, if we knew the exact day and hour, we'd probably be like, I got time. I got time. But that's why he hasn't given it to us, because he wants us to be in a state of readiness all of the time. Even back with the disciples, they were ready to go. 
And it's been a long time since then, hasn't it? Every generation has been ready to go, or should be. And that's where the encouragement I want to find this morning for us is because here he is laying it out and saying to be ready, and then he even gives it three more parables to beat it into the thick skull of his disciples that they better be ready. Don't find yourself as one of these other people, and he gives three different examples of different type of people that were not ready, but he also gives great examples of people that were ready. And that's what we're going to study through in these three parables this morning. And so the first one is going to be going over the faithful, wise servant versus the evil servant. And this one would be, don't be the hypocrite, be ready. Don't be a hypocrite, be ready. The second one is the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. This one is, don't be responsible, be ready. And the last one we're going to look at, which is one of my favorite parables out of these three, is the two profitable, wise servants versus the one unprofitable, foolish servant, which you guys may have heard lots of different things on this with the talents that were given to them. This is, don't be the wicked and the lazy servant, be ready. And so as we discover these, as we go through them, I hope you guys are encouraged Let this be a time, too, where the Lord can convict if there's something in your life that you've been putting off and there isn't a readiness that's there. Don't be thinking about your neighbor, your husband, or wife that needs to hear this, right? Let's deal with ourselves. Let's see what the Word of God has for us. We're not here to be everybody else's Holy Spirit and wish that somebody should have heard this or whatever. Let's pay attention to what the Lord wants to speak to us as we go through this. And there are some very convicting verses in these. But before we get into these parables, I want to preface it with this. This is a very important thing because people have taken these parables and tried to teach a false doctrine. They try to teach a doctrine that you can lose your salvation by bad works. And I'd argue that's not right because if you can lose it by bad works, how many bad works does it take before you lose it? Where's the line drawn? If I have to draw a line, that means, well, how many good works on the other side then to balance it out did I have to do to be in. And I'm going to go through some scripture with you because the scripture, of course, is going to nail it and hit it out of the park on exactly what it says. And I'm sorry, you can't argue with the scripture. Maybe you can, but you'll, you'll lose. So let's look at some scripture. Now, it is so important to understand, first of all, what does salvation come through? And if you would argue that, hey, it's by you doing too much wrong, now you lose it, then your whole uh, theology is based on a work theology for for what God has given us as a gift. So let's look at two verses, and there's many more. These are just two I've picked, and I'm sure you guys know they're very familiar, but Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess your mouth with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there any works in there? There isn't. It doesn't say be a good person, have good morals, and then, no. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The other one, and one of my favorites, is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this one's so basic, so, so very clear. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Thank you, Lord, right? Not of works, because people love to boast in works, lest anyone should boast. It has nothing to do with works. Now, salvation doesn't come by works, but we've been saved unto good works, haven't we? And that's what we're going to see here. And what he deals with, that there's a, there's a responsibility for us. That you haven't been saved by good works, but you've been saved unto them. Even the verse that follows that, which I'm sorry I don't have it up there, but Ephesians 2.10 talks about that we've been made and created to walk in those good works that he's prepared behind, beforehand for us to walk in. That we've been appointed to that. 
that as we come into Jesus Christ, that's where we go. Now, the faith, and I want to make this clear too, is not just some flippant faith that, yes, I believe that there was this power in the sky, or I believe there was this historical guy that died on the cross. That is important, but if you stop there, your faith is dead. And I want to clarify that by James 2. Again, the Bible is going to say it a lot better than I can. James 2, 14 through 22, if you guys would turn over there with me, please. James chapter 2. And at first, as you read through this, you guys might be like, wow, my first contradiction in the Bible. I found it. Because I just read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's not by works. And now here, James is saying it's by works, right? So what he says here in James 2, 14 through 22, he starts out, he says, What does that profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also by faith by itself, it does not have, or if it does not have works, is what? Dead. But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. A little sarcasm there from James, isn't it? Now listen to this example he gives through Abraham. But, you, or, but do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? See, Abraham all day long, as God says to him, hey, I want you to sacrifice the only promise I ever gave you, the promise that you're going to be multiplied through, right? Because that's who he was, Isaac. He says, I want you to go out and kill him. I want you to sacrifice him. It's a test, right? And Abraham, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, well, today's the day. Go get the firewood. Oh, you know what? We just used it up all the other day. I'm sorry. We don't have any firewood. Or I twisted my ankle. I can't hike that far, right? All these, these little excuses that may come up and he could have used, we would never see this faith acted out in works. Instead, Abraham was like, yes, Lord, son, go grab the wood. We're going. Not even telling him what's going to happen. But also having faith, if you guys notice in that part of Scripture, as he's going up there, that he talks about them returning with the servant. Because when he says to the servant, when we return, so he knew God was going to have to work a miracle, but he was on a path right now that he had to go and sacrifice his son. Somehow God was going to work it out, though, because his promise was in Isaac. Now, all that worked together because there was a true faith that was there that Abraham showed us through actually acting out physically and what he was doing. Faith, our faith should be so profound that it leads us to repentance and be a producer of good fruit. That's what it is. You guys believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart and what he's done. You cannot stop what's going to come after that. You want to, you desire, you become a new creation set aside for what God's purpose is, and now it's like, Jesus, I love you so much. What can I do for you? Please show me. My life is yours. You send me. You do whatever you want with me. I'm yours. That's faith. Not just, yeah, I believe in that too. I believe in that too. And you know, I wouldn't doubt that you actually do believe in that, but where is this conviction, this like, I absolutely, 100% am all in. I believe it. And that's why we're not saved by the works, but we're saved unto those good works, right? The works will follow after that. So in this passage, of, passage, these passages of Scripture, these parables, you see that a person that would try to define that, hey, we have to have 
these certain works so that we're not cast out in the outer darkness or there's gnashing of te- wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not talking about that. The next point I want to make to make this more secure is that why people address this is this way is they say because it's using the word servant here to the master. And of course, in each one of these master, speaking of, as we go through them, we'll talk about Jesus. Jesus is the master. Okay, So if it's a servant, it must be a believer in Jesus or a person that's saved. But I'd argue that no, what it's talking about here is servants, that you have a creator and everything that he has created is a servant to him, right? Even creation itself. And in the scriptures, he's actually used places to describe even enemies of God as servants. One is in Jeremiah 25, 9. And in here it talks about Nebuchadnezzar. And you guys know Nebuchadnezzar was a very, very wicked king, right? Setting up an image so that people would worship him. Consequences if you didn't. Here's what God says. He says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against his, this land. And then it goes on. Another one that we see, and it doesn't use the exact word servant. It uses basically a tool, a rod, Isaiah 10, 5 through 7, with the Syrian army. Now, the Assyrians were used to also discipline God's people. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. And look at how much he uses Assyria here as his servant. The rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation. Send him. Send him as a servant. And the last point is Romans nine seventeen with Pharaoh. And what's said to Pharaoh? For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So, I just want to set that base there to be clear that when it's talking about this, it's not automatically all believers, and then all of a sudden they messed up, and so now they're kicked out and they're going to hell. Okay, That is not what it's saying here. If you guys want to talk more, and we could go through this. This is a whole other teaching, of course, a whole other even huge discussion about where salvation lies in talking about this. I just wanted to set that there as a foundation so that we're not confused as we go through these parables and thinking, and here's what I do not want. This is the main thing, is I don't want the enemy coming in your head and saying and condemning you like, oh, remember the other day you messed up. You better go and get saved again. See, when I was seven years old, when I came to the Lord the first time, I used to ask him every night to come back into my heart because I thought I kicked him out during the day every day because of what I was doing. You know, being mean to my brother, thinking bad thoughts about my parents. I was like, Jesus definitely left today. And I don't want to go to hell, so I better ask him back in tonight. <laughs> That's not how it goes, of course. And I was thankful my parents were able to sort that out in my mind to help me understand that that's not how it works. Because of his grace, right? Because of the gift that he's given us. And we could go on and, and, and talk about other things there. You know, there's parts where if you practice that sin, and that's your lifestyle, that's who you've become, you no longer are find your identity in Jesus Christ, well, yeah, the scriptures are very clear that you're, you're going to hell, that you're damned, because you want nothing to do with the Savior. And that's for him to sort out whether you were ever saved, weren't saved, all that. I don't know. It's not my job. I'm, I'm to give the message and to be ready. So let's focus on that and not get caught up in these other uh, side things for this morning. But I'd love to talk to you guys. If you guys have more, you'd like to talk about that, let's do it. Um, I love uh, that part of scripture. Let's get into the first parable. The first parable, verse 45 of Matthew 24. It says, Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. 
But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two, appoint him with his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, as we dive into your scripture this morning, I pray that you would teach us and guide us. Lord, that uh, you would exhort us, convict convict us if there's things we need to go to you about. Uh, Lord, so we can be ready. Uh, We want to be ready when you come. And uh, doing the work that you've called us to, and what a pleasure it is to be called as your children to do that. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning that as we go through this part of scripture, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would get me out of the way, anoint me with your spirit so that it's very clear what you want to teach us as your people. And uh, Lord, we want to ask that you come quickly, please, Lord. Maranatha, and uh, we love you so much. Cannot wait to be face-to-face with our Savior and uh, to be your servants in whatever you call us to do, um, even in the after. And so, Lord, we praise your name, and we just pray this all in your name. Amen. All right. You guys getting cold? Did we, did we get a little too cold in here? All right. Sorry. When I came in, it was super hot. Maybe because I have a flannel. You want to bump it down, Steve? All right. We'll get, it, we'll get it warm back up here. Sorry about that. All right. So... This first verse right here, what's happening is he asks a question, right? Who then is a faithful and wise servant? And you don't have to look very far because he answers the same question right there. A faithful and wise servant would, of course, be one that the master is made ruler over all the household, correct? Also, how is he faithful? Okay, well, he gives them food. So the servant is giving food to those people he's responsible to, those that are in the household. And then how is he wise? He's doing it in due season. And so the translation and what we see here and what interpretation of this parable is the master, of course, is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And this first parable, I would say, is more to church leaders and what's talking more to the disciples that he's starting off with here. However, don't just exclude yourselves out of that. There's still great lessons to learn from here and still a very strong one of not being a hypocrite. So... Here it says, to his household. And that's why I think it's of the church, because he says, whom his master made a ruler over his household. What is Jesus' household? It's us. It's the church, right? And so he says that he's over them. And then to give them food, what kind of food are they to be given? What kind of food are you guys to be given? What we're doing right now, right? The word of God, the promises of God, having the kingdom of God enter in. That's what the goods, that's what he's saying, that give them the food. And then in the due season is while the master's away. So during this time until Jesus comes back, we're supposed to be given the food, especially us that are leaders in the church, not just behind the pulpit, but those that have been called to be leaders in the different ministries, the elders of this church. And so this is what he's saying about them. Now, there is definitely application for each one of us in here, even if that isn't what God's called you to know. So he says that this servant is doing a great job. In verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So this is the faithful. The faithful part of it is he's continually doing it. He's not looking, he's not trying to get away with things and saying, okay, I think he's about to return, I better get with it and look good. That's what the other servant does. But he's always consistently doing what the Father has called him to or what the Master has called him to. Are we consistently doing what Jesus Christ has called us to do? Are we handing out the food? Are we doing it in this due season while he's not here right now? Right? Then it goes on to the evil servant. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants, which that one 
extreme real quick, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, he says, well, then the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. So now you have the complete opposite side, and you have this guy that's beating the servants. You guys may even know in the, another part of Scripture where it talks about leaders not abusing the sheep. Uh, an example of this was, uh, you guys might have seen it in some of the prosperity gospel. They abuse the sheep to get funds from them, right? Uh, convincing them that if they don't do certain things out of faith, they, they're not going to be blessed, and so they need to give them money or give the ministry money. Uh, another one is, is somebody that is constantly beating the sheep as far as condemning them and all the wrongs that they do, all the things you need to do better. You guys are not giving enough at this church. You're not doing this. I don't even have any volunteers anymore. And, and you're just like kicking the sheep, right? And telling them all the do's and the don'ts, and this is what it's supposed to be about. And grace is out the window. That's the abuse. That's all of a sudden he's beating up these servants. And this guy's also looking for when the master's returning. It says that in verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. Obviously, that guy knows he's doing wrong, and he's looking for when the master comes. So one moment, he's elbowing his other servant in the face, you know, and then the master's there, and he's like, oh, hey, we're friends. I mean, so fake, isn't it? This person and these type of people, they always are looking for the recognition of man, and that man would think that they're a good person on the outside, when in the inside, they're completely not at all doing what the master's called them to. They're evil and they're wicked. And that's what this guy is. He's out there. Not only is he just beating the servants, but this guy's carnal. Because it says now he's all about his own body. He's eating and drinking, and he's hanging out with horrible company at the same time. This is a person that's supposed to be giving out the food in the due season, right? The good food, the good news. And here they are wasting the time away with their own concerns and their own things that they want to be involved in and getting involved in carnality. And they have a bad place that they're going to end up in being, right? In verse 51, And I will cut him in two and appoint him as a portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, hypocrite, if you guys don't know, I know you guys probably know, but I'm going to give you a definition. I like this definition. It really just puts it out there so there's no excuses. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs, principles, and etc. Uh, that he or she does not actually possess. They're putting on a front. And that's what this evil, stu- evil uh, servant was doing here. Putting on this front that they were doing what the master had called them to at the same time, absolutely not doing that, right? Living in carnality and also abusing those around them. A wicked person. You see those two different ones that he gives as examples of what not to be. And so for this first one, don't be a hypocrite, Right? Don't be a hypocrite. Be ready. If you're being a hypocrite now, stop. He always has the door open to repentance. You can walk through it anytime. Go to him. Get on your face. Lord, I've been doing wrong. I've been playing a person I'm not. I want to be who you've called me to be. I no longer want to be that hypocrite. Forgive me. Boom. Then you're ready. You're ready. Next one. The five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. Chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The door was shut. Where else in the scripture we heard about the door was shut, and as all the people drowned, right? Time of Noah. Shut. What a sad thing. In these next few verses, I mean, it's, it's so sad because these virgins had an invitation to this marriage feast. They had an invitation. They were supposed to be there. They had a great role in it. And then it ends up, it says, afterward, the other virgins came also, these five foolish ones, and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. It'd be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? To be there before and, and know your Savior's on the other side of that door, and he says, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The way that I see this one is this is, everybody's been invited in this world to be a part of the marriage, haven't they? Every single person in this room has been invited to know Jesus Christ. And it's so sad when somebody says, you know what, it's just not time for me right now. I got a lot going on. I'd have to sacrifice a lot. Uh, if I came to Jesus right now, I would have to turn from my family that we grew up in a certain other religion or a certain way. There's a lot of different situations where it's like, I'm just not ready yet. I don't think I can give that up and go under that kind of rules, right? Looking at it as a rule thing. Um, I've met a lot of people on the streets. I love to go and sit down with some of the homeless people and eat together and find out their stories and talk to them and where they're at. And it's surprising. A lot of them are happy where they're at. And they will tell me over and over, and it's so crazy because just about every one of them I talk to has heard the story of Jesus. They know him, about him, right? They, they, sometimes they'll even school you guys on how much scripture they know. It's surprising. But they're always waiting. They're always waiting until it's just right. And I talk to them like, no, today's the day, guys, you could pass away. And they're like, well, and that's up to God. And when I get before him, he'll sort everything out. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't leave it to that. Go get the oil. Go get the extra flask. Be ready. And these, these virgins were here, and they're probably thinking, you know what? He's probably going to come in a couple hours. Why carry the extra weight? Why go beyond the measure? I, I have a lamp. I'm ready to go. I have an invitation. Why wait? But see, he tarried, right? It said that he waited. He was delayed. Well, guess what? It looks like Jesus has been delayed because if you were in the first century, you would have thought, well, he's coming any day now. 2,000 years later, wow, that's a big delay right? Who knows how much longer? But he encouraged them, be ready to go with what you have. I find it very interesting, too, is that they all fell asleep, right? All the virgins fell asleep, and he doesn't come against that. He doesn't say, you guys all fell asleep, and now this is a bad deal. That wasn't what he was focused on. He was focused on that they weren't prepared for what they were responsible for. See, these virgins were responsible to introduce, to bring in the bridegroom. That was their job with this light that they had. That was their whole purpose. That was what their only job was. And they failed at it because they weren't prepared. They were still willing to do it, weren't they? They were still willing, but they weren't prepared. And that's why it's such a, this, this parable is a little bit like, okay, am I ready to go? So I'd ask any of you this morning, if you guys have been, and I'm sure that more than once in your life, you've been introduced to Jesus Christ. You've been challenged with accepting him into your life. 
going the way, repenting, falling on your face, saying, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior, please. And you've never taken that step yet for whatever reason. I need to know more information. I need to make sure this is the right move. I don't want to just be pressured into this. Well, if Jesus keeps saying it over and over to you guys, and now even this morning he's giving you a parable that says, hey, don't ride the coattails of others. Don't try to source from others. This is between you and me. And he's giving you another warning that I could come back at any moment. Or guess what? You could die at any moment. Are you ready? It is not worth the gamble of not having the oil. It's not worth the gamble. You guys, the the consequences of not being ready is that you're cast out. The door is shut. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. You guys understand for eternity, he does not know who you are. You're outside of it. That's why there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth, this weeping that's going to happen, this, this regret, this eternal regret that you had the chance to know your Savior and you denied him for self. For whatever reason, these, these, these women had in their minds that we don't need to carry that extra flask. It's a dangerous place to go, and I would say, guys, stop trying to play that game. Accept Jesus Christ in your life. If you guys want to know more about it and ask me, please come up to me. Anybody that has name tags on this morning, ask them. Anybody that's the elders here, if you guys know them, please find somebody. Today is the day of salvation. It is. Today is the day, if you guys already have salvation, to repent. To get back with him. Guys, the time is so short, especially if you want to compare it with eternity. 80 years, right, is about what we average on this earth now. Compare that to eternity. That's like the tiniest little time, but it matters a lot. Where he gives three different parables to tell us, be ready. Okay, the last parable. One of the ones that I really enjoy, and especially the wording that he uses in this, is very encouraging. I hope you guys are encouraged like I was. It's a long one, so let's read through it. Uh, Verses 14 through 30. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained Five more talents besides them. And uh, what great words that I hope I get to hear and you guys get to hear someday too is this from our master. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You guys want to enter into that joy? I do. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent into the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have uh, deposited my money 
with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one, or give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of those ones that, wow, uh, it is a scary thing to read it. And it's also one of those that, man, I hope that what I'm doing and preparing and being ready that I get to hear these words from my Savior. I would hate to hear you wicked and lazy servant. Right? <laughs> None of us want to hear that. How many of us, when we're working at a job or even for our parents or wherever you're at in your life, is it such a good feeling when somebody recognizes all the hard work you've put into something, right? It's a good feeling, isn't it? When somebody, what I used to call him my place, and I don't know if this is used anymore, that a boy. I got a that a boy today. You know, I did something good. The boss saw it, recognized it. And what does that do? That, wants, that makes me want to drive to do better and to do things where I'll get another that a boy. It's so nice to hear those things. And I, imagine it coming from the creator of the universe, telling you, well done, and saying, good and faithful. And calling you a servant. And I mean, that byproduct of that, where you get to be over a lot of things now, that, that to me is like, I don't know, it makes me a little nervous. I really don't want to be over a lot of stuff. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second about the ability. But it's so good, and I cannot wait to hear those words. And I hope that what I'm doing now in this life, that I'm being responsible with what I've been given so that I do get to hear those, that I am the profitable servant, not the unprofitable. Let's break it down here. So the man traveling for, to a far country, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is going to heaven He's going to come back soon. So when he's telling his disciples here in the context, he's saying, you know, this, this guy went away, and he, he's going to come back, and he's going to want to know, what did you do with the goods that he left in your hands? So there is this not a trick like, hey, I left you with this. I was going to see what you're going to do with it. There was an expectation. They all knew there was an expectation to do something with the goods that had been given to them, with these talents. Uh, his own servants, these are right at this point, they're his disciples that he's talking about. And I do believe throughout this whole thing that they were all word disciples. We get to see that even uh, Judas, right, was considered a disciple, yet he completely walked away from the Lord. He was using the Lord. He was using the ministry of Jesus Christ, but he was still called a disciple. His goods. Now, the goods that we're talking about here is the gospel or the kingdom of God. And so we get to see the goods that are supposed to be given out. And the verse that I am so thankful that's in there is verse 15. If you guys read that with me again, it says, And to the one he gave five talents, to the, another two, and to another one. He gives exactly the same amount to each one of them as far as responsibility is concerned, right? The items and how much was there, of course, was different, but the exact same responsibility was given to each one of them. Then he says right after that, to each according to his own ability. That's where the number comes in because Jesus knows, the master knows what ability each servant has. And so he gives to each one what he knows is going to be the best, the absolute best to their ability. Now, he knew each one like Jesus knows each one of us, right? And what they're, we're capable of. And so that's why they had these different amounts, but the exact same responsibilities. So you have the two, the good and the faithful servants that doubled what the master had given to them. And then you have the wicked and the lazy servant, of course, that did nothing. And even went so far as to hide what he had been given. Like, went beyond. Not just went and stuck it on a shelf, but went and hid it. So it wouldn't be stolen or whatever's going on in his mind. And I think there's three different good insights that we can take from this 
part of Scripture, this parable. And the first is responsibility. What is our responsibility? If we're going to be ready, what is our responsibility? They were all given the exact same responsibility, like I said, or another way to look at it is expectation, right? They're all given the same expectation to multiply, to take those goods and to multiply those goods. And we see the same responsibility given to us. If you guys turn over to Matthew 28. We've been given the responsibility just like the disciples were given the responsibility. These goods have been delivered to us. Any of you guys that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been given goods. You've been given talents. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is telling them the Great Commission, go out and preach the gospel and raise people up. That's the goods. That's the multiplication that we're talking about here. This is the expectation for every single one of us in this room that knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is what we're called to. We are to go out and make those disciples multiply and be the light in each one of our circles. And that's key. We're going to talk about that in a second. Go and preach the gospel and give and spread that seed that he's given us among those Jesus has made available to us. The ones that Jesus has put in our own lives. Each individual life that rep- is represented in this room. Now, I, I'm so thankful, again, God puts another part of the scripture here to know that it is not completely up to me. It's not in my power that this is going to be done. Turn over to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to see that they were supposed to wait. Jesus had asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit, right? The helper to come, as he described earlier. And so we see them remembering here in Acts, or Luke remembering and writing it down and saying, hey, this is what Jesus said to us. Yes, we have this commission to go out, but not in our own power. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, or when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Still missing the point. Verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Again, we're not supposed to know, but be ready, right? Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he's called us to do. Multiplication of those talents has to be through his power. So don't live in despair and think, there's no way I can do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. Which brings us to the next part is ability, right? So happy he put the ability part in the parable. Jesus knows us and he knows what we're capable of. He knows what is too much for us. But he also wants us to trust him because it says that He gives to our ability. So who's the one that's determining the ability? The master. It's not the servant coming and saying, hey, I'm usually only good with three talents, so let's leave it at that. No, he says, I give him five. The other, he's like, I'm good with one. No, you're going to have two. The other guy's like, what are talents? Well, I'm going to give you one. (laughs) He gives us exactly what he knows is our ability. 
Therefore, we have to trust in him because he's going to take us beyond what our ability is. If you guys haven't experienced that in your life, hold on tight. It's a good place to be, though. I love having the dependence on my Savior. One of my favorite parts about being a missionary is that daily I had to be dependent upon him. When we go out and we go multiply these goods, I promise you, you will have to be dependent on him. With your actions, your attitude, your love for others, you have to get the power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses among the nations. Don't get overwhelmed by it. He's there and he's called you to that and he knows the exact ability that you're capable of. The responsibility is given to multiply, but according to each individual's ability. It's a relief, but it also is a big fact that eliminates excuse from us. We have no excuse. We don't have the excuse. Notice how this evil man was like, hey, I'm going to blame it on the master. You're a mean guy. You're really mean. So I went and hid it because I didn't want to get in trouble. You know, I mean, you collect things that you haven't even put your work into. There's no way I'm going to take something that's yours and mess it up, right? He completely diverted the attention when he was the wicked and the lazy one. And we'll hit on him a little bit more. We're going to be pretty brutal with that guy. It's according to what he knows, not us. And so that's where we have to be. We rely on the Holy Spirit. I have a responsibility until then to take whatever I have and multiply it. It is not about how much ability we have. Okay? It's not about how much ability we have, but what we do with what we have been given. Remember that. It's not about our ability, but what we do with what we've been given. That's being ready. The last one is our accountability to him and what he's given, the accountability to the master. Jesus is coming back. The master is returning. What did you do with his goods? What are you doing with his goods? Be ready, right? Some find this very overwhelming because they think, okay, my accountability, my ability, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? I I guess I got to go be a preacher. I got to go be a missionary. I got to go be evangelist because that's how you really get those goods to multiply. So here I go. And I promise you, if you try to go out and we all, if I told you all, hey, we're going to be evangelists tomorrow, you're going to make it very awkward for yourself and also awkward for the people you're evangelizing to. It's going to be weird. It will be. Because God has not called you to that. Now, some in this room, yes, maybe the Lord has called you to that ministry, right? According to your ability. Remember that. You might be thinking there's absolutely no way. With me, I was like, no way. I was, I was going to Bible college, and I was about halfway through it. And my mom says, hey, the Lord's telling me you're going to be a pastor someday. I said, oh, no. I want nothing to do with a pastor. I've been around pastors. I don't want to be a pastor. There's no way I want to have that accountability before people to give the word of God. That's dangerous ground. No, thank you. Within those next two years, the Lord started giving me the desire not only to be a pastor, but also to take my family to a foreign country where we had nothing and start out a ministry, start out a church. He will do that. He's the one that provided. He's the one that gave me even faith to be able to do that. It was not on my own faith. He will give us according to each one of our ability. What are we going to do with that? He's not calling each and every one of us. Guys, he has put you guys in specific places in your life right now, and he's giving you those goods to use in your specific places. Some of you guys, he's put in a school, which thank you, Jesus, you're in there. Please don't quit. I cannot imagine being a teacher or anybody that's involved in a school because it is horrendous right now. All of your creativity has been stripped from you. Now you have these rules that you must follow and these gross things that they're implementing, but you know what? If all the light goes out, those poor children will never know. They won't have anybody to deliver those goods to them. Be bold. Be fearless. 
Stay there. Continue to do what the Lord's called you to. If God's calling you out of that ministry, out of that, that place in your life, yeah, so be it. But please don't leave out of fear or discouragement. The Lord has given you what you can you, you, you're, to your ability. Another one is a construction, right? Some of you guys are in construction. That's a hard place to be. These next three that I even have, construction, military, first responders, hard places to be and hard places to spread those goods because you know what? Those guys do not want it. Or those women. It's a rough, tough place. You gotta be serious. You gotta be on your game. You gotta show like you're you're not, you know, I'm not weak. I don't need a crutch. But here's what's interesting. I, I was in construction for a very long time, my dad as well. So I grew up in it. I found that within construction, if you maintain being that good servant, that good and faithful servant, those people will see that. And as soon as they're alone, they will come to you with their crises, and you get to deliver the goods. Just wait for it. They will never, most of the time, never do it alone because they know they're going to get made fun of. It's a very insecure thing for another person to go before other people to go ask, hey, I got this going on in my life. But wait for that opportunity. Don't, go re- don't grow weary doing good like we learned about last week, right? Keep going. Some of you, he's called to be mothers and fathers. Are you delivering those goods under your children? You're making sure you're delivering those goods under your children. And being consistent in that and maintaining that. Don't get discouraged because they're not listening. You guys that have young kids, hey, it can get so frustrating because it's like, what in the world do you not hear me? It's like you just continually, it just bounces off your skull. Nothing goes in, right? It's, it can be so frustrating and discouraging. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give up consistency in their life. And then they, they don't do that, please. Then they get to be teenagers, and I'm sorry. You're going to wonder why you even had kids. <laughs> you're like, I heard everybody say this is going to be hard, but they weren't, I didn't know they were going to rip my heart out. You know, I didn't know it was going to be hard like that. Now, I want to say this because you're going to be like, dang, you got bad kids. <laughs> Everybody goes through these things, right? It's people growing up in your own home that you're trying to guide as they go and search out who Jesus Christ is. So you're going to have wonderful moments as well. Awesome moments with your kids. Beautiful things that even when your kids do disobey, you go back to the Father and you're like, I do this to you even more than they do it to me. How can you stand me? It brings us to a great place. I encourage you guys, being a parent is a wonderful thing to get to see how God the Father deals with us as well. Some of you have been called to pulpits. Some of you guys have been called to be before people. Are you delivering the goods? Are you being a hypocrite? The question is, what have we done with his goods? In a place that he has put you, are you guys the salt and the light, or did you lose your flavor? Did you lose your flavor? Have you taken that light and have you put it under a basket? As he talks about in Matthew 7. If so, guys, hey, he can give you flavor back. Make that tasty salt again. He can, you guys can go lift that basket off that light again. It's not too late. Don't be discouraged in that, but do turn from it if that's the way it is right now. He's going to return. Are you guys ready? Are we ready? Are we ready to be accountable for those goods that he's given us? And so we see each one of these different people. Don't be the hypocrite. Be ready. Don't be the ill-prepared. Be ready. The irresponsible. And don't be the wicked or the lazy. Now this guy... As we close, we're going to look at him, this wicked one. And it's pretty harsh saying what ends up happening with him. But it's something that we need to look at our own lives. Is this what's going on here? Do I need to repent? Do I need to accept Christ into my life? Because I'm doing exactly what it's saying here. This last little bit, he says, with this wicked servant, you know, it goes on and he says, but the Lord in verse 26, or sorry, verse 25, and I was afraid and went and took and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I gave you it back. Aren't you happy? God's not happy. The master's not happy with that. What good has it done if you have the great news and you didn't deliver it? 
But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. You should have known better. I am a, a master that's going to expect and has high expectations. Again, he's given us the ability. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But then he tries to blame it on the master, saying he's living in fear, and he says you're wicked. Now, why would this guy be wicked? Has he done a sin? I say no, because he has the most precious thing that you could ever give to another human being, the gospel. And he went and put it in the ground. He hid it. Not that he just not put it on a shelf, he went and put it away where nobody would find it. Deep within inside of him, and he put it away. That's wicked. You guys can watch, Brandon was showing me a video again of Penn Teller, you guys know the uh, magician, not musician, the magician, well-known very hardcore atheist. He has a little video. It was done several years ago, and he's talking about how somebody gave him a Bible, and he, you know, he's, he does not, he's not into Christianity at all. But he talks about in this video how he looks at a person that doesn't proselytize as being evil. Because if you believe that much that Jesus Christ has saved you from hell, why would you not tell him about it? You must hate him to not tell him. That's where the wickedness comes in is because this servant had the most precious thing you could ever give another human being, and he hid it away. It's like a house is on fire, the family's inside of it, you walk by and like, well, I hope they figure out someday. That's wicked. You look at that person as you're disgusting. Why are you not telling them? Why are you not yelling from the streets like it's a big deal? You're about to die, burned up, and you're not doing anything about it. It was wicked that they hid it away, or that this guy hid it away, and he says, he calls him out and says, you're lazy. You're lazy. You're doing. A lazy person does what they want to do, not what God wants to do, right? He was given an order. He's given these talents, and he goes, and he's just lazy with it and doesn't do anything. And so, therefore, he takes the talent from him. Verse 28, the worship team wants to go ahead and come back up. We're going to close with this. He gave it to him. had ten talents. For To everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him, see, there's blessing in following the Lord, isn't there? You know, abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. It's a very serious thing not to do what was commanded from the master. In verse 30, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Stripped of everything, given ultimate despair and eternal damnation because of it. Because he'd been given the word of God to go out and give to others. And he chose, I'm going to live a self life where I'm in charge. I'm the one that matters. Not God and not his purpose, not the purposes of the master. And he ends up getting damned for it. So these three things that we learned, right? Don't be a hypocrite. Be ready, guys. Don't be unfruitful. Be ready. Ill-prepared. Don't do that. Be ready. And this last one, don't be wicked. Share that gospel. And don't be lazy. It's short. It's a short time, right? Be ready. Lord, we love you, and we just want to ask that you would help us in being ready for you, being ready in the things that you've given us. Uh, Lord, that we would not be like these bad examples in here. And Lord, if we are right now, that you just call us out into the open, that we wouldn't be that hypocrite pretending we're these good Christians, and we're doing everything right when our heart is so wicked and far from you just to please other men or to think that we're living a certain way. Lord, I pray that we would be responsible for what you've given us and our job that we've given us, that we wouldn't be slacking off and waiting and just expecting you at a different time or whatever the deal is. 
Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for those that don't know you. This would be the time that they give it all over to you, that they fall on their face, repent, accept you as their Lord and Savior. Continue to convict them with your Holy Spirit just so you pour that out, that they would not rest. I'd hate to see anybody in this room have to have the door shut on them and say that you never knew them. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be wicked, that we would give the gospel, Lord. It's a scary thing, it is, that you give us that boldness and that strength to be able to tell other people about you. In our own places you've put us, wherever that is, that we'd be bold in that, Lord. And, and Lord, I ask you to give us a great testimony, too, that it's so wonderful to see somebody's life change right before you as they accept you into their life. It's such a wonderful thing, and it's, it, for me, it amps me up, and I can't wait to go tell the next person. So I pray you give us those experiences. That as you prepare these people's hearts that don't know you through your spirit, or that as we give them the message as we're responsible to, that we're going to see unbelievable, awesome things happen in this world where we don't see great things anymore. There's very few and far between, Lord. Thank you for your encouragement, Lord. Thank you for your word that you consistently tell us and teach us about how great you are and you do wonderful, awesome, mighty things. We pray that you'd come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Won't you stand for allow one last song?